church family, I invite you to open up in your Bibles to the book of Mark, the second of those gospel books, the book of Mark. We're going to be in chapter 10 today, and, um, and we're going to be looking at verses 17 through 31. Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 31. And as you find that in your copy of God's Word, I'm going to invite you, if you're able to, to stand, and uh, we're going to honor the reading of God's Word in that way. Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 31. God's Word says this, And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, See, we've left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. This is the Word of God for His church today. You may be seated. The title of our message today is Gaining Eternal Life. Have you ever tried to accomplish something only to realize you have fallen short? You're missing something that you needed to accomplish your stated goal. Maybe it was a test at school. Maybe it was a sales quota. Maybe it was college admissions. Maybe it was a goal in a game. Maybe it was just making the team to begin with. Maybe it was an interview for a job. But whatever it was, you fell short. How did that make you feel? How did that make you feel when you fell short? Probably sad, disheartened, even sorrowful. But what if a very trustworthy person came along and said, listen, I will tell you exactly how to ace the test. I'll tell you exactly how to meet the sales quota. I'll tell you exactly what needs to happen if you're going to get accepted into that college. I'll tell you exactly what you need to do to make that winning goal or, or to make the team. I'll tell you exactly what needs to happen if you want to get the job. Would you listen would you follow that person's instructions or would you, would you reject those instructions and walk away? 
Well, you probably listen. I think most of us would probably listen. If we trusted that person, we would listen and follow the instructions. But what if those instructions completely contradicted everything you had ever believed in and worked for? What if those instructions just really didn't make any sense from a human standpoint? From a human perspective, what if the way up was to go down? What if the way forward was actually to turn the other direction? What if gaining what you wanted meant giving up all that you had? What if first meant last? What if last meant first? You see, this was the predicament that a rich man found himself in after asking Jesus what he needed to do to gain eternal life. On some level, he must have trusted Jesus in order to run up and kneel before him and, and ask him this question. So there must have been at least some sense in him that he thought Jesus was trustworthy. And yet the words of Jesus were not at all what this man was expecting. In Mark chapter 10, verse 17 through 31, we find this event in the life of Jesus where he had an exchange of words with a wealthy man who simply wanted to know what he needed to do to inherit eternal life. This then sparked a very interesting conversation between Jesus and his disciples. And as we study this passage, church, I think we learn that it takes the power of God to save someone because the way to eternal life contradicts the natural bent of our hearts. Try to summarize this passage in one sentence. This is it. It takes the power of God to save someone because the way to eternal life contradicts. It goes against the natural bent or the natural tendencies of our hearts. You see, what we find when we study God's Word is that while the way to eternal life in one sense is simple, it's also in another sense very difficult. It's not difficult because God has made the way to eternal life difficult. No. The way to eternal life is difficult. We could say it's difficult. Even Jesus says it is difficult. Not because of God, but because of us. Because our hearts are evil. And we naturally rebel against God and His ways. We naturally think that our way is better than God's ways. Now can I ask you a serious question? A minute ago I asked you about gaining a good grade or... Or, or getting a job, or getting into college, or, or making a goal, making the team. I want to ask you a far more important question. Those things have their place in life, but they're not of first importance. Let me ask you a more serious question. Do you want eternal life? Do you want eternal life? Now, I think many of us, maybe all of us, I hope, would say, yes, yes, of course, of course I want eternal life. And that's good. That's a good answer. That's the right answer. I want you to want eternal life. God wants you to want eternal life. But I want to warn you, as we walk through this passage of Scripture, you might find that you don't really want eternal life as much as you thought. You say, Pastor, why would you say something like that? Why, why would you say that? 
Well, I say that because often our attachment to our way rather than God's way, our attachment to earthly status rather than godly standing, our attachment to worldly possessions rather than riches in heaven, our attachment to a self-centered view of life and even of salvation rather than a Jesus-centered view of life and salvation often reveals that we are so caught up in living life on our own terms that we actually don't want the eternal life which comes on God's terms. You see, it's easy to say, I want eternal life. This man in this passage wanted eternal life, and yet we already read the passage, we already know what happened with him. He walked away sad. He thought he wanted eternal life, but he didn't really want it as much as he thought he did. Not when he realized what God's way of eternal life meant. We say we love Jesus, but our lives often reveal that our affections lie elsewhere. We say we value Jesus, but our lives reveal often that our treasure lies somewhere other than the person of Jesus Christ. And so I just want to warn us, I want to warn myself, the eternal life we say that we want might actually conflict with the life that we want to live. Which means that if you've not already gained eternal life, today's passage is going to leave you with a choice. It's going to leave you with a choice. Do I want to gain eternal life with God by surrendering all of myself to Jesus? Or do I want to keep trusting in myself and holding on to my earthly treasures, my way of life here on this earth. That's the choice today's passage leaves us with. But I want to go ahead and tell you some bad news and some good news. The bad news is this. It's not as simple as merely just making a choice. The bad news is that left to ourselves... We are stuck in our rebellion against God. Left to yourself, you will never choose to surrender all of yourself to Jesus. We just read from Ephesians that our hearts are dead in sin and we are by nature children of God's wrath. People who are dead in sin, people who are children of God's wrath, don't value Jesus. There's nothing in us that would give up all this life has to offer in order to gain Christ. But the good news, church, is that we serve a powerful God who out of His great love uses His power to transform our hearts in such a way that we can then lay aside our self-focus and surrender our lives to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. You see what I'm saying? The bad news is that left to ourselves, we never will choose Jesus. But the good news is that God is so powerful and uses His powerful in a loving way towards us to transform us such that we will lay aside the things of this world and we will treasure Jesus above all. And so if you sense the Holy Spirit tugging at your heart today, convicting you of sin, revealing to you your need to believe in Jesus for salvation and thereby gain eternal eternal life, then know that it is the Lord who is softening your heart. That's not you. That's God speaking to you. And then what you need to do is obey the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Respond in repentance and faith in Jesus Christ today. Now as we look at this passage, I think we see it reveal three things to us. We see it reveal the person of eternal life, the paradox of eternal life, and the power of eternal life. The person of eternal life, 
the paradox of eternal life and the power of eternal life. We're going to start with that first one. The person of eternal life. Jesus is setting out on a journey. And this man runs up to him and kneels to him. And he asks this question. He says, good teacher, what must I do? What must I do to inherit eternal life? And then from the rest of this passage, we kind of can fill in the blanks about who this man is. We know that this is a, is a man who, who tries to follow God's law. And it's a man who is very wealthy. He's a very moral person. He, he, he's a man who tries to do the right thing. And in his eyes, he, he has done a good job of doing the right thing. And he's a very wealthy person. And yet I think he still realizes that something must be missing in his attempt to gain eternal life. I think that he must feel like he's not quite there. He's gained a track record in his eyes of doing good. He's gained a household full of possessions. But he's wondering, is there something else? Is there something else that needs to happen? And I believe that there's this discontentment brewing in his heart. He seems like he has it all together. He would be described as a good person who has been blessed with great wealth. He would be really the envy of us here today. A good person who's been blessed with great wealth. And yet it appears that he's concerned with whether or not he will gain eternal life. I think what this teaches us is that his good works and his great possessions have not led him to a place where he has a humble confidence of being accepted into God's kingdom. And the reason why is that neither of those things are the ingredients to gaining eternal life. Good works and great possessions. That's what he has, but that's not what he needs. And as the exchange between this man and Jesus continues, we, we see why he feels like something is missing. It's because there really truly is something that is missing. Jesus gets right to the uh, point in his response. He says to the young man, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. We'll stop there for just a second. Why did Jesus say that? Well, is Jesus good? Well, yeah. Did Jesus know he was good? Yeah, Jesus is God. Of course he's good. He's perfect. But Jesus is, is not really dwelling on who he is at this point. He's trying to shift the conversation to who this man is. And how who this man is is very different than who this man thinks he is. Jesus goes ahead and sticks his finger into the heart of the man's problem. The man needed desperately to hear this truth. No one is good except God alone. That's the truth that this man desperately needed to hear. And then Jesus continues by saying this. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And the man replies, Teacher, all of these I have kept from my youth. You see what just happened? Jesus, Jesus knows this man's heart. Jesus said, no one is good except God alone. And the man basically replies, I am. He just says, I've kept all these commands from my youth. Not just for the past week, I've kept them from my youth. Jesus says, no one is good except God alone. And this man basically says, I am. I'm good. I've kept the commandments. And so we, we, see, we see 
God's Word, we see Christ shining a light unto this man's spiritual blindness. The man believes that he's a good person. The man believes God should be pleased with his good works. But Jesus had debunked that falsehood the second he opened his mouth. He had already told the man, no one is good except God alone. I think at that point, the man should have said this. He should have said, oh, then what hope is there for me, a sinner? And you know, if he had said that, I think his heart then would have been in the right place to receive the eternal life that Jesus was going to offer to him. His heart would have been in the right place to receive Jesus as his only hope, but he doesn't say that. This man is blind to the truth of his own depraved heart. Jesus gives him a list of commands, and the man only highlights his obedience, his goodness. You know, I just can't help but wonder that if his parents had been standing there, whether they would have agreed with his statement that he had honored his father and mother from his youth. I wonder if they would have said, hold on, hold on, son. Hold on, Jesus might need to have a word with, with our son here. Um, don't know if he's done that quite as well as he thinks he has. And I think Jesus would have said, I've already told him. I've already said, no one is good except God alone. But Jesus doesn't correct him right here and say, no, you haven't. You haven't kept these commands. He goes along with the man's answer to an extent, but he's not done. Jesus is not done with him. Look at verse 21. Verse 21 says, And Jesus, looking at him, loved him. Incredible statement. Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him. See, Jesus doesn't shake his head and say, well, you're a hopeless case. He looks at the man, he loves the man, and then out of his love, he exposes the truth which he's already implied. Despite the man's obedience, this man is not a good man. Not in the eyes of God. Jesus says, you lack one thing. You lack one thing. Now stop right there again for a moment. This kind of sounds, if you put yourself in the man's shoes, this kind of sounds like a pretty good thing, right? Oh, great, I only lack one thing. I'm only one step away. One step away from eternal life. There's only one thing left. It kind of sounds like Jesus has approved of this man's life and that he just needs to add one thing to the mix. But the one thing that this man lacks is actually the only thing that is needed to gain eternal life. Which means that all the things that the man thinks he has going for him, that is his good works and his great possessions, are actually worth nothing. They are worth nothing when it comes to gaining eternal life. The one thing he is missing is the only thing he needs. And what's more than that, as we see the story unfold, we realize that those things that he has, good works and great possessions, are actually standing in between him and the thing that he needs the most. How does Jesus expose that the man is not good? Well, Notice that Jesus has only mentioned the part of the Ten Commandments dealing with our relationships with others. Don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, um, those, those sorts of things. Honor your father and mother. He's talked about the man's relationships with other people. And according to the man, he's done well with that. But Jesus left out the commandments which deal primarily with our relationship with God, such as, you shall have no other gods before me. Now I think this was intentional on Jesus' part. 
The man is confident that he has kept the commandments Jesus mentioned, but instead of debating with the man whether or not he has kept those commandments, Jesus gives the man an opportunity to prove whether or not God is on the throne of his heart or whether or not he, has, he is worshiping someone or something else other than God. Jesus reveals that the man is failing miserably in keeping even the very first of the Ten Commandments. This man worships his possessions rather than God. He's failed miserably in obeying what Jesus said at another time was the greatest command. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This man loves his possessions more than he loves God. Jesus says to him, go. One thing you lack, go. Sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. What was the man's response? Well, without saying anything, the man responded no. How do we know that was his response? Because look at what he did. Verse 22 says, Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. You see what Jesus did there? Jesus exposed the love of this man's life. He exposed who was on the throne or what was on the throne of his heart. And it wasn't God. It was his great possessions. This man thought he could love his possessions and be a good person in order to gain eternal life. But Jesus wrecked this man's wrong thinking by revealing to him that he was, in fact, not good. He was, in fact, not good. And the wickedness of his heart was revealed, was seen in the fact that he placed more value on the temporary material possessions of this life rather than the eternal life he said that he wanted. He said he wanted eternal life. And so Jesus offered him treasure in heaven, but he decided he would rather have treasures on earth than treasures in heaven. See, this man cared more about living the life he wanted in the here and now than gaining eternal life in heaven. He cared more about living for himself now rather than living with God forever. And that's what I meant earlier when I said that some of us, some of you, some of us here today may say we want eternal life, but our actions might reveal that we don't really want eternal life. You don't want to admit that you are not a good person. You don't want to stop loving the things of this world or whatever it is that you love more than God. I said that in this first section we see the person of eternal life. Well, who is that person? I think there's a detail that I know at least for me, maybe, maybe for you and your reading and study of this passage. I know many of you have studied and read this passage many times before. I think there's a detail which gets neglected. I know I've neglected it before. It gets missed. We focus a lot on Jesus telling the man to sell his possessions and give to the poor. As if that's what he needs to do. But friends, that would just be another good work to add to his list of good works. It's not the main thing Jesus tells him to do. What gets neglected is what he's supposed to do after he gets rid of all his stuff. What does Jesus say? And come, follow me. And come, follow me. You see, that's the key. 
That's the key to eternal life. The man's problem wasn't really that he had a bunch of stuff. It was that he didn't have Jesus. And his stuff was standing in the way of him surrendering his life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. His stuff was standing in the way of him treasuring Jesus above all. When we understand the person of eternal life, we understand that, church, if you don't have Jesus, you don't have eternal life. Friends, Jesus is eternal life. You can have the whole world. You can have the whole world, Jesus said, and lose your soul. You can have the whole world, but if you don't have Jesus, you don't have eternal life. John chapter 1, verse 11 through 12 says of Jesus, He came to His own, and His own people did not receive Him, but to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. Jesus said in John chapter 5, verse 39 and 40, You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they, the Scriptures, that bear witness about Me, Jesus said, yet you refuse to come to Me that you may have life. The same thing that this man, searching for eternal life, realizing that Jesus is eternal life, but not being willing to receive Jesus. And in His high priestly prayer in John chapter 17, Jesus prayed this. Jesus said this in His prayer to God. He said, and this is eternal life, that they know You, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. The rich man asked Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus' response was basically this, all you need is me. And so go get rid of everything else you are trusting in and come follow me and then you will have everything you need to have eternal life. And perhaps again we think, well, why, why did, if he just needed to add Jesus... Why did he need to sell all his stuff? But friends, he didn't just need to add Jesus. He needed to get rid of everything else that he was trusting in and have only Jesus. Why did he need to sell all the stuff? This answer is simply this. Jesus is all we need, but Jesus will not share the throne of our hearts with anyone or anything else. There is no double allegiance in the kingdom of God. Jesus knew this man's heart. He knew what was on the throne of his heart. And Jesus wasn't about to share the throne with this man's great possessions and his arrogance and his good works. Either the stuff had to go... And he had to admit that he was not a good person or the man had to walk away from Jesus without eternal life. And unfortunately, the man walked away sad. The person of eternal life is Jesus and he's all you need. So let me ask you a question. Do you have Jesus today? Better yet, does Jesus have you? Is God telling you today, there is one thing you lack, which happens to be the only thing that you need. So will you walk away from trusting in your good works and treasuring your great possessions and receive with joy the Lord Jesus Christ? Or would you walk away from Jesus sad because you're holding on to something which can never give you the eternal life that your heart longs for? The passage is not over. We see two more things. I want to spend most of our time thinking about the person of eternal life. But we see two more things in the remainder of this passage. We can't talk about all the details here today, but I want you to notice two more things. The second thing is the paradox of eternal life. The paradox of eternal life. Remember, I said that eternal life is simple, but at the same time, it's difficult. 
This is where we see the difficulty with eternal life. Now, a paradox is just when something sounds the opposite of what it actually is. Like earlier when I said when gaining is losing, or perhaps when less is more, or perhaps when first is last, or last is first. When the man walks away, Jesus turns to his disciples and he says this. No, this is Jesus' words. He says, how difficult How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. Why were they amazed? Because they were still looking at life from an earthly perspective. This man had a lot of stuff. Certainly that is good. Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished. In our modern lingo, they were blown away. They were blown away. Their minds were blown. They said to Jesus, then who can be saved? Then who can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, with man it is impossible, but not with God, for with Him all things, with God all things are possible. Notice that Jesus doesn't shy away from the hard truths of His kingdom. Our hearts are not bent toward the things of God. Our hearts are not naturally bent or prone towards the things of eternity. Our hearts are bent toward ourselves and the temporary pleasures of this life. We don't naturally treasure the things of heaven. We naturally treasure the things of this earth. And because our earthly status, note this, because our earthly status is often dependent on earthly wealth, Say that again, because our earthly status is often dependent on earthly wealth, it's difficult for us to throw off this way of thinking. The paradox of eternal life is seen in the truth that eternal life does not follow the value systems of this world. Eternal life does not follow the value systems of this world. The world says, push others down on your way to the top. But Jesus said, if you want to be great in my kingdom, then you become a servant of others. The world says, the more stuff you have, the more you will enjoy life. But Jesus said, if you said that you should take care and be on guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. You see, we can be tempted to think that being well-to-do in the eyes of the world will just translate into being well-to-do in the kingdom of God, in the eyes of God. We can be tempted to think that being accepted by society will translate into being accepted by God into His kingdom. We can be tempted to think that being loved by the world means we must then be loved by God. But you see, the standard of God's kingdom turns the standards of this world upside down. God's kingdom doesn't operate the way the kingdoms of this world operate. Listen, the wealthy may get the places of prominence in the world, but it is, according to Jesus, the poor in spirit who will inherit the kingdom of God. See, when the disciples saw this man who was a wealthy, law-abiding citizen rejected from God's kingdom, they couldn't believe their eyes. They couldn't understand it. If this man, this good man who had been blessed with earthly prosperity couldn't gain eternal life, then Jesus, who in the world can be saved? The problem is that they were viewing life in God's kingdom through the lens of life in this world, but life in God's kingdom, church, doesn't work the way life in this world works. In verse 28, Peter points to the disciples' response to Jesus' call to come follow me. 
Peter says, see, see, Jesus, we've left everything and followed you. Jesus basically responds by saying that those who leave everything for his sake and for the sake of the gospel will have everything they need in this life and then eternal life in the age to come. But notice the paradox. They'll also have persecutions in this life. We see the paradox. Giving up what we have is actually how we gain what God has for us. Losing our lives now leads to gaining our lives for eternity. Suffering for the cause of Christ now leads to enjoying the riches of Christ both now and for all of eternity. And this paradox is seen most clearly in Jesus' final statement in this passage. Verse 31, But many who are first will be last, and the last first. I have to confess something. When I was a kid, I used to quote that verse a lot. Maybe not out loud in my mind. Sometimes it was out loud. I used that verse to give me comfort when I found myself in the back of the lunch line. When I found myself in the back of the lunch line, I comforted myself by saying, well, the first will be last and the last will be first. That's a true story, okay? Uh, Not very proud of my use of Scripture then. But church, this verse means way more than that. It means way more than just to comfort us when we find ourselves in the back of the lunch line. The rich man was first in the eyes of the world. And we could take it a step further and say he was probably first in the eyes of the religious people. He was a good man who tried to follow God's law and he had a lot of wealth. He was first in the eyes of the world, but if he died walking away from Jesus rather than following Jesus, then he would find himself on that last day, on judgment day, in condemnation, not gaining eternal life. You see, his earthly status of wealth would not translate into enjoying the riches of heaven. Instead, his love, please Please note this because we are a people, we are people who love the comforts of this world. His love for the comforts of this world would result in him enduring the eternal discomforts of hell. And discomforts is putting it lightly. The man who had everything on this side of the grave would have nothing on the other side of the grave except separation from God. And yet the person who has nothing in this world except Jesus actually has far more than the richest person on the planet. That person might be last in the eyes of the world, but if she has Jesus, she's first in the kingdom of heaven. If he has Jesus, he's first in the kingdom of heaven. The paradox of eternal life calls us, church, to evaluate how we think about eternal life and to evaluate where our real treasure and hope lies. Have you been deceived by the ways of this world to give your life to achieving some kind of earthly status, to being first in the eyes of the world? Or have you seen all that this world has to offer, even all of your past accomplishments, and said they are nothing, they are nothing compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord? The man sold all he had and followed Jesus. He would go from first to last in this world. But in gaining Jesus, he would go from last to first in the kingdom of God. He would gain eternal life. He just needed to make the right choice. And yet we come back to Jesus' opening statement that no one is good except God alone. If selling his possessions and following Jesus was a good thing, if trusting in Jesus instead of his good works was a good choice, then how could he or anyone else make that good choice if only God is good? What hope 
is there for us as sinners? As the disciples said, then who? Then who can be saved? And this is a good question. And praise God, church, there's an answer, which is good news. Perhaps at the heart of this passage of Scripture is Jesus' incredible statement that with man, this is impossible, but not with God. For with God, all things are possible. And here, church, we see the power of eternal life. The power of eternal life. The disciples rightly understood the difficulty in entering the kingdom of God. If no one is good except God, if a man who has tried to be good his whole life and who has a high standing in the eyes of the world still lacks what is necessary to gain eternal life, then it seems impossible for anyone to be saved. And indeed, salvation is impossible. Gaining eternal life is impossible when it's left in the hands of men. But when God steps in, church, all things are possible. When God steps in, sinners can be redeemed. When God steps in, a man blinded by his own self-centered heart can have the blinders lifted and see that he is nothing without Jesus. And we consider the power of eternal life. We learn this, that only by God's power to change our hearts can we gain eternal life. I'm afraid that sometimes even in, even in, even in, Wanting to follow Jesus, we put so much emphasis on our choice to follow Jesus that we forget about that it's the power of God that can transform our hearts such that we want Jesus, such that we can tra- that we can treasure Jesus. It's not as much about us, it's about God doing what only He can do. Only by God's power can we see that Jesus is all we need and throw aside everything else we've been trusting in and trust only in Jesus. Church, only by God's power can we see that the world's way of promising life is actually the opposite of God's way of giving life. Only by God's power can we see past the seeming paradox of eternal life and surrender ourselves completely to Jesus as the only means of eternal life. Church, it takes the power of God to save someone because the way to eternal life contradicts the natural bent of our hearts. That natural bent towards self-sufficiency. That natural bent towards trusting in our own ability to be good enough. That natural bent towards treasuring the things of this world. It takes the power of God to overcome the depravity of the human heart. You say, where is God's power? You say, I want to experience that power of God transforming my heart. How do I experience that power of God to open my blind eyes and transform my dead heart? Church, I can just say this. Friend, look to the cross. Look to the cross of Christ. Look to the Gospel truth that God sent His Son to die in your place, to take the wrath of God that you deserve, and to provide you with a free gift of everlasting life in place of the eternal punishment that you and I deserve. It is at the cross where God displayed His power to rescue sinful hearts. God's power to save is found only in the Gospel of Jesus Christ. As Paul said to the Romans, For I am not ashamed of the Gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. So the question is, do you believe? Is God working in your heart right now? 
Do you believe that Jesus is all you need to gain eternal life? Do you believe in Jesus or are you holding on to your own ability to somehow earn God's love, which you can never do? Or are you holding on to the treasures of this world, which will be of no value when you breathe your last breath? Do you believe in Jesus today? You can't save yourself. There's so many people in our world, there's so many people even sitting in churches around our, our, our world today. Just like this man who knew God's law, he knew what God's Word says. He wasn't some heathen just running around disregarding God's Word. He knew God's Word, he was trying to be a good person, but he wasn't treasuring Christ. He wasn't throwing aside everything else that his heart was trusting in. And saying, Jesus, I only need You. You can't save yourself, but God can save you through Jesus. If only that man had turned away from all his stuff and followed Jesus, then he would have followed Jesus to the cross. And he would have seen Jesus laying down His life to rescue him from his sin. He would have seen the empty tomb and knew the power of God to rescue his sinful heart. But what about you? Don't walk away sad today. Instead, please, walk away with the joy of following Jesus. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? I want to give you an opportunity to respond to the working of God in your heart today. If God is tugging at your heart, if He's telling you, You've tried a lot of different ways. You've even tried to add a little Jesus to everything else you've tried, but you've never just given up on everything else and surrendered your life completely to the Lordship of Christ. And today, if you want to respond in the repentance and faith, would you just confess your sin to God? Would you confess to Him that you are a sinner and that you need His power to transform your heart? Would you just ask the Lord to save you, not because of who you are, but because of who Jesus is? Just tell God, God, I believe in the person of eternal life. I believe in Jesus. God, would you save me out of your great love? Because Jesus died for my sin. Heavenly Father, I pray for anyone today you are working in their heart to draw them into salvation. God, I pray that just now they've responded in repentance and faith. But God, this message isn't just for the unsaved in this room who need to be saved. This passage of Scripture is also a very powerful reminder to those of us who have been saved. For us not to be arrogant in our salvation for us to make sure that we are continuing to treasure Jesus above all else, to make sure that we are not drifting away from treasuring Christ above all, that we're not being distracted with the things of this world. Father, but we are keeping our eyes fixed upon Jesus. Lord, help us to live in the seeming paradox of eternal life. Help us to know that We might be last in this world, but that's okay. Because if we have Jesus, we have 
eternal life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.